This morning, will you turn with me once more to Revelation? Over in the 20th chapter, and then we'll go back to the 19th possibly for a few minutes. Now, I hope you didn't put your roast on this morning. Someday I'll, you know, I'll tell you the week before, and I'll say, now, next Sunday, no roasts, all right, just hamburgers. And we'll just spend the time together. Because there's so much that's uh, here that it's uh, tremendous uh, for our souls. Uh, As you know, I've been speaking to you over these uh, few weeks, these past two or three weeks, on the coming second death. I am not talking to you about the second death for the moment, but as I said, it is the, of all words in either scripture or human tongue, there are no words that are more terrible than those who will suffer the second death. Actually, that second death is the one that Jesus speaks of when he speaks in the Gospel of John, of the, in John 5, 29, where he speaks of the resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation. A lot of people have an idea there's just one resurrection. It's a general resurrection. Everybody's raised at the same time. Everybody's judged at the same throne. And this, of course, is absolute ignorance of the things that the Bible has to say. There are many judgments and... uh, the judgment of believers shall be at the great white throne, at, I should say, at the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment of unbelievers is at the great white throne. Completely different. The two judgments are separated by over 1,000 years. The judgment of unbelievers is at the end of the millennial kingdom. When you hear people speak about, well, someday the millennium will come. They are speaking about the thousand-year reign of Christ. The word millennium is not used in Scripture, but the word the thousand-year reign of Christ is mentioned in Scripture. Both mean the same. Mill one thousand, the millennium. And so the judgment of unbelievers is at the end of the millennium. That is the great white throne judgment the resurrection of damnation, and the second death. The judgment of believers is at the rapture of the church. That's when we're told in 1 Thessalonians that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds in the air, and then shall we ever be with the Lord. Certain events are going on uh, concurrently. They are going on at the exactly exact same time. You and I, seated here this morning, are seated in the age of grace. The age of grace is that age in which we may come to Christ through simple faith, in the cross of Calvary. He paid the price of our redemption. That is the age we're living in. 
we have this glorious privilege of coming. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and to the Gentile. The Jew is, is merely put first, not because he is better, but because Paul says the, to the Jew first, the oracles of God were delivered. They're the first ones to know about Messiah coming. So to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. And so we're in the age of grace. We are waiting now in this place that we're standing in for the coming of the Lord. The church is waiting for her bridegroom to come, the church the bride, and to catch the bride up to himself, all the church, and to gather them to himself before or the wrath of God breaks forth upon the earth and all hell breaks loose on the earth. And this thing that men are so worried about now, you read that, uh, for instance, this week, of course, our president came out against all kind of germ warfare and the elimination of all germ warfare. And there's a reason for this. It, it, it's, I don't think we'll have any problem with others in the same area because they recognize that uh, while the hydrogen bomb and all of these bombs that we have at the present time are overkill, and as I said a few weeks ago, there is enough in Russia's arsenal and the United States' arsenal, arsenal there are 30,000 tons of dynamite for every human being upon the face of the earth. Now, this is somewhat overkill. But banning the germ warfare, it's self-preservation to every nation because uh, there's a full recognition that the kind of warfare that they're talking about is the kind that would spread the bubonic plague throughout the earth. There'd be no stopping this thing. It's well recognized, you see. So that it isn't difficult to understand why our president is doing this. We are living, as he said, in an age where man is capable of destroying mankind. And this should convince us as Christians that the Lord's coming is nigh. If man has reached this point where he believes he could destroy it all, either in one great blast or through some germ warfare, then certainly the coming of the Lord is nigh. For as much as we would like to ban everything, I can't help but remember, I wasn't too old at that time, but I can't help but remember that the nations have signed treaties and agreements and all kind of things. Many of you remember about gas warfare and all the rest, but when things get rough, and the nation is on the defeated side. The old arsenals are brought out with all the old weapons they can get a hold of to win the conflict. And I think it's been well said that all of the treaties ever written on paper were merely written to be broken. So we cannot expect mankind to set up a perfect kingdom. We are in that age of grace at that time when we're looking to the Lord's coming. We're looking to the Lord's coming to take us to himself before all hell breaks loose upon this earth. 
with all the treaties that have been signed, I would remind you that the scripture is clear that in the last war and great conflict, during the time that you and I will have been taken out before it comes, during the great tribulation, Jacob's trouble, Israel's grave burden upon the face of this earth, that during that time, it says, little flesh should live on the face of the earth, save those days be shortened, and that 200 million shall die. The scripture is very clear. They didn't even have 200 million on earth at that time. And it will take seven years to bury the dead. And it says, the stench of the dead shall go up for seven years. Now, this is easy to imagine in this day we're living in. And the bodies of men shall be sent out just to bury the dead. That's all. And he says, and they had to have their noses covered, undoubtedly some kind of a mask on, so that they could bury the dead, which in themselves were causing great contamination all over. So you can see what's coming. I don't have to be a preacher to tell you. You can see all of the evidences around you. And so we're in that age waiting. When the Lord has taken us up, then on the earth the great tribulation comes in. This is the time of a seven-year period. The 70th week of Daniel, it's called. Seven years. And during that time of seven years, the great tribulation, the revelation of the Antichrist, the revelation, the Antichrist is the false prophet, and the beast is the great political leader of all the earth. You don't think that the world is looking for one man to head up this great world government? Of course they are. I listened to a to a, a little while yesterday to some symposium on television and these were composed of young people and I believe that our young generation is set up for a world government where someone's going to promise them love and peace and joy and contentment and that's exactly what the Antichrist is going to promise. He's going to be like Christ. He's going to make great promises to head the government, and he's going to be the force and the power behind the beast. He'll be the false prophet. They'll be the unholy triumvirate. As there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, there will be Satan, the false prophet, and the beast. You'll have the trinity of evil we have the trinity of the Godhead and great great will be the desire of young people for world government so this is one of the things I think that we're going to see we're going to see a, a tendency toward a world government in keeping with that I took this out of the newspaper and look at, here's how they put it, you see. Talking about war, Vietnam, all of this, listen. It quotes Freud, William James, etc. It says, the human race, says William James, is as bellicose as its individual members are instinctively pugnacious. 
Freud maintained that it is an illusion to suppose that human nature can be transformed by civilization. I'm glad he put that. The only transformation is in Jesus Christ. The scripture says, be ye transformed, what, by civilization? Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's to be the Holy Spirit renewing us, new creatures. He says human nature can, it's, a, it's, a, it's an illusion to think that human nature can be transformed by civilization in order to lift it above its impulses. What is he saying? Man's a sinner. He'd find it hard to use the word maybe at that moment, you see. What he's saying, man is a sinner. War, Freud wrote in his book, is never to be abolished. What did Jesus say? There shall be wars and rumors of wars until what? The very end. You'd think Freud, you know, got something brand new, wouldn't you? Did you know Freud was a student of the scriptures? His early life, a student, a teacher. And then suddenly all the teaching is false teaching. He says here, it's never to be abolished because the repulsions between, between peoples are so intense that there will be and there must ever be war. Isn't that amazing? Huh? So many people go by Freud and hear Freud speaking. Now here's the editor of the newspaper. Listen to this. The most challenging question remains for us. How long will we have to wait for a world government and a world ruler to be formed and for war then to be forever abolished? You know, don't you, you know, you rejoice because this is the very thing Christ is coming to do finally. Remember over there in Revelation 21 and 22, and there shall be, what, no more war, no more sin, no more sickness, no more death, no more funerals, no more pain, no more crying, for the former things have passed away. And what? All things have become new. And here they are seeking out a world government. That's the question. Thomas Merton, the Trappist monk, recently killed in an accident. Here's what he said. We live in an apocalyptic age on which the life of civilization hinges. Beloved, did you realize that the whole tenor of the young people society of today dissatisfied with the establishment is for world government with a world ruler who will bring beneficence, beauty, life, plenty, all of the things and love and happiness that this is what they're looking for. And here the editorial says, when will it come that there shall be a world government and a world ruler who will abolish war. And I would remind you that this is the very thing that the Antichrist will seek to do, you see. The Antichrist, the false prophet, and the beast will come and will seek to establish a government 
a general government over all the earth, and all the earth shall praise him and make obeisance to him, and his image shall be flashed, it says, throughout the earth, and they will hear the image speak. And with those satellites up in the sky, you're not limited at all now. You can have an image at any place on the whole earth at one time, and when it's all governmentally controlled by one great world government, you listen, for Big Brother will be watching you from every single place, from one spot upon the face of this earth. And so here is that which is coming. And then there is the great tribulation period, and this is going on on earth. And then up in heaven is the judgment seat of Christ, and that's what I spoke to you about last week. And then the marriage supper of the Lamb. During that seven-year period, here are believers up with their Savior, first to be judged, and second to be joined together to their bridegroom for all eternity at that marriage supper of the Lamb. They're one with him now, but that will be the glorious culmination when they're joined together with him, he who is the bride and the church, his bridegroom. Now, I thought it would be well if I just quickly, and I think that this is a necessity, if I just quickly would read to you putting them together, if I can, the scriptures, putting the scriptures together in divine order uh, on this great theme of God's judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to read them to you all in order, all right? And this won't be the total of them, may I say this? But this will give you a, 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 a composition a picture of the judgment seat of Christ, which is the judgment of all believers. And I'm just going to mention the verses to you, and then I'll read them without mentioning where they come from after that. All right? Revelation 22, 12. Romans 14, 10 and 12. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Matthew 25, 21. 1 Corinthians 3, 15. Revelation 3, 11. And James 5, 9. Now, if you want those references, I can give them to you at another time. I see some of you jotting them down, but there will be. Now, I'm going to read without... I've read, given them to you in order, and I'm going to read them in order, all right? This is concerning the judgment seat of Christ. For before I come to this marriage supper of the Lamb, which is going to thrill your hearts, because I tell you, it thrills my heart so much that uh, on Sunday morning, I, I just can't, you know, it's hard for me to sleep. Can I say that? This morning I was up 5 o'clock. Nobody's up. Well, there's only one other. I shouldn't say nobody. <coughs> but the first thing I do is go down, make a cup of coffee, and if you were to see the, the settee, you know, it's all lined up with papers and my Bible. And then for three solid hours before I wake up Alice, I can just finish off with all the week has been on my heart. 
And as I, as, I, as I look at these things, you just rejoice, you know. You cut out of the newspaper the things that talk of it. You, 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 you know, I remember Barnhouse in the old days, uh, who used to thrill my heart so. My Donald is named after him. We were good friends. Donald Gray Gian is named after Donald Gray Barnhouse. But I can remember uh, when Dr. Barnhouse would say uh, that he had a whole corps of 20 people in his office. All they did was to follow publications, newspapers, and everything possible to tie them together for him with scripture so that he could take this and take this and bind them all together to show the glory of the word of God and how the very situations in the world require that the mind block out God because they see things happening in the world that they're going to agree with all that Jesus has to say and they'll have to block it out completely. I can't remember the term I used that once when I was talking about this, you know, but how we can automatically block out, you know, uh, this, this uh, consciousness of anything distasteful, we block it out of our memories and that's about it. Beloved, it's so blessed, though, when we can go to the Word of God. So when we get to that marriage supper of the Lamb, uh, I know your heart's going to thrill. Tremendous things God has to say. Now let me read this to you, all right, in divine order. Just see how glorious the picture is, you see. We often don't tie Scripture together. As I said, if anybody ever finds that book, Israel and the Church, by James M. Gray, and you see it's some old used bookstore, for me, pick it up. I lost mine, and it shows that in every book of the Scripture, Jesus the Messiah is spoken of in his second coming. Now let me read. I'm going to read them together as just one great theme of the judgment of the believers, judgment seat of Christ. And behold, I come quickly. I'm starting with the Revelation portion. And my reward is with me to give every man as his work shall be, Revelation 22, 12. Every man, no one will be excused. To the lost, every man as his work was. To the saved, every man as his work was. Both are going to be judged by works. But the believer whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life will never suffer the second death. The unbeliever will be judged, as it says in Revelation that we've been reading, out of the works in the books, those things written in the books, and there will be grades of punishment. Let me make this just as clear as I can. No one has ever said that your lovely, sweet, and tender aunt or uncle or mother or father who lived a wonderful life and an exemplary life is going to suffer the same pangs as Hitler. No one has ever said that. The scripture has never said that. All it does say is that that lovely mother or father who have done such good things but never received Jesus Christ as personal Savior will not be with God for all eternity and will suffer separation from him 
because it is only faith that unites us with the living God. Some of the most terrible things. People have not come to Christ because they think that men are preaching that their mothers and their fathers and Hitler and all the rest are thrown into the same cauldron and suffer the same punishment. Don't you fool yourself. Every man shall be judged what? According what? To his works. The believer for the rewards. The unbeliever, beloved, for his position in that separation from God in the lake of fire. And if anybody wants to know where the lake of fire is, I don't know. All I know is God has a place that he calls the lake of fire. And he warns us that the torment is tremendous. And I know of no torment worse to my heart than when I have been in any sense out of fellowship with God, even as a believer. I can't imagine how terrible it will be in the torment of the heart to know that I am out of God's presence and the soul is out of God's presence forever and ever and ever because they rejected the light which God had given to them. And I'm talking now of all mankind. God's going to judge me by the light I have received, and I've received a tremendous amount of light. You have received a tremendous amount of light. You will be judged by the light you have received. God will judge all people by the light they have received. That is up to God. He can do nothing wrong. I'm not concerned with pagans. I'm not concerned with the tribes of Africa. I am only concerned that I should do the job God's called me to do, to preach the gospel unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And I leave the rest to God. God is going to judge you by the light you have received. And in this church you have received the light of the divineness of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the only means of salvation. The light that you have received, you shall be responsible for. If you have rejected him, you have rejected him knowingly. For you have heard that Christ is Savior and his blood cleanses from sin. And there's redemption in another. For he says, there's no other name under heaven whereby you, you, you must say, you shall be judged by the light you have received. I think sometimes we worry about everybody else and we don't even recognize the light we've received and will be held responsible not only for the light of salvation but the light of a life lived for Jesus Christ at the judgment seat we shall be judged with what we've done with the light we've received from God through faith in Jesus Christ and behold I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man as his work shall be. And then I'm going to the next one. For we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is now the believer. So every one of us, every one of us, shall give an account of himself to God. May I make this clear? God will not ask you to give an account of anyone else. And I'm afraid that's what we'd like to do. (coughs) 
We'd like to give an account for this one or that one. A husband would like to give an account for his wife, and the wife would like to give the account for the husband. So to say, after all, how can God ever know what really happened? Well, he doesn't really need this, you see, because he looks not upon the outward things but upon the heart. God is going to judge every single man according to his knowledge. And he says, you will give an account of yourself to God. That's Romans 14, the 12th, 12th verse. And then the next one is 2 Corinthians 5.10, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. The judgment is going to come and we're going to be judged as Christians, beloved, those who love Christ, those who have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, as to what the things we have done, whether they be good or bad. Gossiper! All thy gossip shall be open to God and thy slaying of the character of thy brethren. Secret sinner, all shall be made manifest to God and thou shalt cover nothing. Unconfessed sin shall be judged. Oh, how terrible it is to ever spend a day where you've sinned and not confessed it and not said, Lord, I have confessed it and I'm going to forsake it. Lord, Lord, strengthen me. The intent of the heart not to fall again into that same sin. Oh, it can happen, but you have intended with all your heart and all truth not to indulge in that secret sin which defiles your body and the church body as a whole. Secret sin hurts the whole church of God. That everyone may receive, whether it's good or bad, then the next one is, therefore judge nothing before the time. Don't you be the judge, all right? Don't you start judging. It says, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. Now, this is not talking about overt sin in the congregation. Paul speaks of that in another place where there is overt sin, where it is a public knowledge that there are those living in sin and if it should cover, in this case, adultery or anything else, and it is public knowledge, if there is no repentance, they're put outside the fellowship as Paul puts it, that they may be put out into the world that their flesh might be destroyed by Satan unless they repent. And if they repent truly in their hearts, then bring them back into the fellowship, but not before repentance. That's public sin. But don't you judge people's motives, all right? How often do you say when someone does something nice, I wonder what's behind that? If a husband brought flowers home, well, what happened to you? Judging motives, the motivations. And here it says, be careful. Don't judge before the time until the Lord comes, who both will bring to light. Notice. One, the hidden things of darkness, and two, will make manifest the counsel of all hearts. He will judge the motives. 
It's not up to us to judge motives. I don't know what motivates people. I'm not that capable of seeing their hearts. God says, I will judge the counsels of their hearts. The motivation behind every act, I will judge. You can judge that. Why do you do things? When you do something nice, is it with another motive behind it? Do you hope to get something out of it? Is that why you do it? God says, I'm going to judge your motives. Next one is, that was 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Next one is Matthew 25, 21. If praise comes forth because of what you've done, because it says in that portion there, he will judge the counsels of hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Now, if praise comes forth from God, here's Jesus. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Oh, how wonderful. To have the Lord joyous with us when we see him face to face. We know not what we shall be, but we know when we see him, we shall be like him, or we shall see him as he is. And then shall we be known, and shall we know even as we are known. Known completely. But if carnality was your lot as a Christian, if any man's work, it says in 1 Corinthians 3.15, any Christian's work shall be burned away, hay, wood, and stubble, he shall suffer loss. But notice this, but he himself shall be saved as if by fire. He should be saved. Isn't that amazing? Here's a man who has nothing to offer to God. And it says he will suffer loss in the judgment. But he himself shall be saved. Why? Because he's a son of God. He's a son of God. Suffer loss. Listen, mother and father, husband and wife, I want to be very clear today. I don't believe that because you're a husband and wife, you're going to be on the same level in eternity. Now, I want to get this down just as straight as I can. I believe that the husband who's been on fire for God and served the Lord with all of his heart and all of his being and given and has had a wife at home who has copped at him and, and, and treated him as though to say, you're spending too much time with God and you're doing this and you're doing that, I don't think you're going to be on the same level if it says that the Lord is bringing rewards and will minister to every man according to his works. It cannot be. It says in the scripture that the wife shall share in the rewards who sit by the stuff and do the job well for God, who take care of the children, who will love their husbands, who are tender, who are compassionate, who have in their hearts a deep and holy love. And when their husband is serving God with all his heart and longing for the salvation of souls, she's not saying, why don't you spend more time doing this? Why don't you paint the house? Why don't you do this? Now, I don't say the house shouldn't be clean, it shouldn't be nice and the lawn cut. 
But you don't have to have the most beautiful place in all the area so that all the neighbors look at it. Who cares? Who cares? God doesn't. And I believe if you have a wife that's serving the Lord, you should be careful of your complaints. All you've got to do is read Proverbs 31 to see what God thinks about a godly woman and what she means and the reward that there's going to be for her in glory. If the Word of God be true, there's nothing that says it says you're going to be caught up together. But what for? What for? To appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's why. It doesn't say you're going to stay together. It says you'll be caught up together. And I remind you that it tells us in Revelation that it will be necessary for God to wipe away all the tears from their eyes. And I can't find anything in the Scripture that says definitely a husband and wife are going to be together for all eternity because there'll be no marriage up there. And love won't be measured by marriage. Love will be measured by the amount of Jesus Christ in the heart and the capacity for love. And I want to tell you, if on earth you haven't cultivated a tremendous capacity of the love of Jesus Christ in your heart, and your mate has, that in heaven, where there is no marriage, God says, there'll be such joy and contentment for all. But... There are rewards. Jesus says, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give what? Every man according to his works. May I say something? All the bride of Jesus Christ is going to be beautiful. But some are going to be more beautiful than others. How do I know? 1 Corinthians 15 the glory of the one shall excel the glory of the other. There'll be differences in glory according to the works. What tremendous things. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, Jesus is speaking, that no man take thy crown. Watch out for evil brethren. Watch out for evil teachers. Watch out for false ministers. Be careful. Shun worldly companionships that lure the soul away, that lure the Christian from his steadfastness. Be careful. Why? Because the Lord warns us here, hold fast that which thou hast, lest someone take that crown. You've been walking close to the Lord and then you get in with the wrong crowd. They're taking your crown. You've been in a church which preaches Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit and you go and you move away and you choose the church nearest to the house. Oh, listen, beloved, if you move, would you look for the church first? So that wherever you go, you'll find a place where you have the fellowship of the breath. 
Be careful, Jesus says. I am coming quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, lest another take thy crown away. What a warning, huh? Isn't that a warning? Did you realize you can get in with the wrong brethren? You can get in with the wrong crowd, and then the crown is gone. And then the last one says, Behold, the judge standeth at the door. There it is. He stands at the door. Beloved, are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment seat? These are all the verses. If you want the references, I can give them to you. But they tell you that judgment is coming for the church, and we're living in a day where like no one in any other age should understand it's coming soon. Hold fast, beloved. Let me tell you, Satan goes about like a roaring lion, devouring whomever he will. And this is the age of the great devouring of Satan, of the church of Jesus Christ, of believers. Listen to me, be careful. Jesus warns you, be careful, he says. I am coming quickly, lest someone takes your crown away. And I want to tell you, if there's one that's trying to get that crown away from you, it's Satan himself. But do you recognize it? Do you really see it? Or you're just being led downhill so that when Jesus comes, you don't have that which he wants you to have. Oh, the scriptures are so clear. I trust you know I'm a Savior this morning and Lord of your life. Let us pray. Father, we do thank thee for thy precious word. Bless it to our hearts, Lord. We ask thee, Lord, that as we talk of these things, they're so important. We can become very glib in our translations and say, what concern is it really of mine? I'm married and my husband's a wonderful husband. I've been a shrew of a wife, but I'm going to share his reward. Lord, Help no one to have such folly in their hearts. God has never said that. There's nothing in Scripture has ever said it. You can look from the first page to the last and not find that. On the other hand, it could be the other way. A husband who somehow thinks, well, if it's all true, I'll be sharing with my wife. Well, that's a simple term, but it isn't verified at all. The Scripture says every man shall answer to God for his works in the body, whether they be good or bad. Now, Lord, this puts us in that peculiar position where we are individual souls to thee, thankful we're married, thankful for husbands and wives that love us, but Lord, may we recognize each one in that marriage partnership that the reward is only promised where the heart is right, and where the joining together has been right, and where there's been rejoicing in the mates working for Jesus, and where the family and the children have seen a father and mother who are really sincere, or as we might say in this present day, they are for real, 
how we pray for reality. Not churchianity, but reality in our Christian lives. So, Father, touch us this morning. And if anyone has come in without Christ, Father, above everything else we pray that they may know him as personal Savior and Lord of their lives. And may they, as the many others have done in this congregation, just come to the pastor, thy under-shepherd at the door, and say, Pastor again, today I came. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.